Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Food and Psych podcast, where I, Kimberly Wilson, chartered psychologist and award-winning artisan, explore the intricate relationship between food and the way we think. I hope wherever you are, this finds you well, and I'm really excited to bring you this conversation. In today's episode, I talk to Cheryl Hill. Cheryl is an independent theatre director, and her company, Ships in the Night, in January launched a new project, part funded by Arts Council England, looking into the complexities and real-life experience of obesity in the UK. Cheryl describes herself as an obese woman, and was frustrated by the way that the public discussion on obesity didn't seem to relate to her own experience or those of other overweight people that she knew. She and her team are in the process of developing a theatre production that will highlight the varied and individual experiences of overweight and obesity, with the hope of opening up a more nuanced and compassionate public conversation on the topic. Cheryl and I found some time to talk while she was in London undertaking some research for the project. I think any public discussion of body weight and shape is difficult to have because it brings up in all of us concerns about being judged or memories of past humiliation and shame. I am therefore incredibly grateful to Cheryl for being so open with me and I really admire the aims of the project. How we understand and approach the personal and social issues around overweight and obesity has far-reaching consequences for physical and psychological health. And that's why I think conversations like these are so important. So without further delay, here's my conversation with Cheryl Hill. We'll start from the top. And mm-hmm. we've just finished our <laughs> meal. And um, we'll wait and see if you survive the night. <laughs> when people come on to the podcast for one of these episodes, which is a breaking bread episode. And the idea of breaking bread is really about helping to understand through food, um, somebody else's story. And when people come onto the podcast to do that, I ask them to make something that means something to them. And you prepared. Well, I'm not the best cook in the world, (laughs) but Kimberly was very gracious in eating what I prepared. Um, So, you know, a halloumi, spinach, tomato and kind of onion salad with a bit of garlic bread. And why did you choose to make that? Um, so the the halloumi spinach tomato thing is something that I've only made recently in the last few months, kind of at the first few times. And I just, the, the meal that I prepared, I felt was in terms of where I'm at in my life and what I'm currently doing, working on, was a good reflection of my relationship with food, both how it has been in the past and how I'm trying to gradually change it for the future. Okay, so we're going to have to break that down. Break it down. <laughs> so tell me how that halloumi salad translates to 
a representation of your food history and your hopes for your food future? Yeah, so I'm obese um, and I've always struggled with my weight throughout my life. So kind of the garlic bread element, bread is a very kind of comforting food to me. Um, My history involves you know I'm an emotional eater I've been a secret eater in the past and I still in certain situations will do that as well as well as a binge eater there's something about bread that I find incredibly comforting and it can be one of the things that's a real go-to to me when I want to use food in that way the halloumi salad there's something about it that for me, like it's relatively simple. Like I'm like, you know, I'm not the world's best cook, as I've already said. I've got a really busy work life. So quite often I need the food that I'm eating to be quick and easy to make. But rather than going for a ready meal, it's like a nice, simple salad type thing to put together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's vegetables, healthier, but there's still something quite nice about it. You know, the halloumi, again, that's a really enjoyable aspect of that dish for me. But yeah, just in terms of the future, thinking about how I make my eating healthier, that felt like a good representation. There's a lot in what you mm. just said. And one of the things that really strikes me is how you describe yourself. And, and you said, yeah, I'm an obese woman. And I think we're used to women or anyone talking about themselves in much more, I guess, euphemistic terms. Mm. I'm larger, I'm rounder, I'm I guess it's so unusual to hear someone just say I'm obese that it, it felt quite striking. Mm-hmm. Is that something you've deliberately worked on? How do you feel about describing yourself in, in such medical terms, the straightforward terms? It's it's difficult and it's not an answer I can give. You know, sometimes I don't know the answer myself. I feel for a long period of time, the word fat was a really difficult word. There's a lot of nasty associations When I was younger, I would not have wanted anyone to call me that word. And quite often, if they did, it was in a negative situation. But I'm at a place now where I am quite happy to call myself fat. And for me, I just purely see it as a descriptor, just like thin, um, tall, short. If someone else was to use it at me, not necessarily the same relationship, because it depends what connotations they're giving that word. Mm. For me, I know there's a lot of debate over BMI and how useful a tool that is. But it's, you know, as someone who's not got a background in kind of the medical industry, and I just have to go on what my doctor's telling me, it's quite a clear cut definition when I'm talking about my weight issues, like I'm in that category. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I am obese. I personally um, probably find the more euphemistic terms a bit more challenging, because I always feel there's quite a patronising element to them. You know, I hate being called cuddly, for example. I hate the term BBW, so big, beautiful women. In what context is, is BBW? So for dating, uh, you know, dating sites, mm-hmm. I would much rather just list my weight as overweight rather than this kind of, I don't know, I personally always feel like it, why are we making, why are we just tagging that on? Are you kind of implying that the big part isn't okay? So mm-hmm. therefore you've got to add this slightly nicer thing onto it? Well, I think probably yes, right? Because... Because you said that, you know, for you, fat is just a descriptive term, the same way thin and tall and short are. But of course, we know that socially, it's not used like that. Socially, it is used as a pejorative term. Mm. Socially, it's used to attack and to berate and to belittle. And it comes with all of those other insidious meanings as well. And so you can understand why people wouldn't want to use those terms. Um, And there's something I think quite interesting about the reclamation of a lot of terms by different groups as well. Yeah, I agree. And how, how possible it is to reclaim certain words. 
because you also then need to convey that to other people who aren't members of that group in order yeah. to, to really get that across. How have other people responded to you if you've described yourself as? Well, it's awful because, you know, lovely people that I'll be talking to and I'll just casually say the word and I can see them. <gasps> She's used that word about herself. Mm. It's such a loaded word. So they can be the most well-intentioned people, but me bringing that into the conversation, it's like a bomb has exploded. But I think that's possibly one of the problems is because that word has become so loaded with such Mm -hmm. negative associations. It means people are quite nervous about talking about size. I think, and and that's obviously one of the reasons that I've asked to to be a guest on the podcast because you, well, I guess you originally reached out to me around the project that you're doing and and I thought it was really fascinating and, and also really important because well maybe we should talk about what the project mm-hmm, is you mm-hmm. want to describe what you're doing and, and why you're doing it yeah yeah of course so I'm a theatre director and I'm working on a production at the moment which is about obesity and trying to unravel the complexities and the real life experience of obesity mm-hmm. um, in correlation with actually what the latest evidence-based science behind obesity is. You know, it was on my mind for a good few years, actually, before deciding to take the plunge last year and actually make it a reality. But I was always really scared about doing it. Putting yourself in a public space mm. in such a difficult conversation was really daunting. It took me a lot of time to want to make that step. But it came about because I just have felt more and more that the conversation around obesity and of course, you know, obesity isn't necessarily a negative thing. There are there's a lot of different opinions about obesity, but there is a very overwhelming narrative that obesity, fat people are lazy and greedy. Mm. Um, It's quite there's quite a lot of abusive connotations with the conversation. And as I've said, I've got a history of having, you know, a difficult relationship with food, using it in ways when I'm feeling stressed or upset. And I have spent over a decade actively trying to diet and having periods where it's been going well, seemingly well, but at the time when I'd lost my most weight ever, I was actually being quite restrictive and rigid around food. Two times when I've kind of really then piled on the weight, you know, a huge amount, a difficult relationship with food. And so for me, I know that my own relationship is much deeper than just being lazy and greedy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm probably like my own worst critic. Damn, one of my biggest fears is ultimately, does it come down to just that I'm lazy and greedy? Mm. But from starting doing this project and talking to more and more people, my kind of gut feeling that it isn't just that simple feels more and more accurate. We're, we are just at the start really still of doing this, so I could be proved wrong. But there seems to be a lot of people who can talk to me in quite complex ways regarding their relationship with food. And I just wanted to delve into that conversation and explore it a bit more. Yeah, and I think the idea of a conversation is so important because I think you're, you're absolutely right. And there is a very simplistic view of why people are overweight, mm. overweight or obese. And it's very interesting because that, that doesn't, that kind of simplistic view isn't seen at the other end of the spectrum. So if you see a story, if you read an article about someone who is anorexic or bulimic, mm. you understand that inherently that there's something very complex going on, that this person is using food in a different way, mm. in an emotional way, in an, in an attempt to control. But But somehow at the other end of the weight spectrum, when people are overweight or obese, the assumption is completely gone. There's no complexity there. The assumption Mm. is just 
that people are lazy or they're greedy, that they're not trying hard enough, that yeah. they would just work harder, it would be different. Yeah. And yeah. Th- this is something that people are doing to themselves. So there's inherently, as my chair creaking, um, <laughs> inherently there is this automatic loss of empathy yeah. or of a willingness to consider that there might be something else going on there. Mm-hmm. And that's really one of the reasons that I wanted to have this conversation with you is because obviously what I see in clinic is, is something completely different. Yeah. And, and I see the multitude of ways in which people are using food you know not feeding themselves not in a nourishing way but using food for a plethora of different reasons and aims and and goals but that side of the story is so rarely seen Mm. and the other really interesting thing is that when we talk about obesity in the public it is always somebody else's view of obese people it's either a doctor's view or a Mm. journalist's Mm. view or just a social critic will have their position and no one's actually asking people about their own lived experience yeah which actually with taking this project on and talking to people like yourself who work within you know that area that has been quite an you know a thing of interest access to that perspective because obviously talking about obesity and being open about it it's it's a difficult thing I mean I have quite a lot of shame and guilt around food and there are things that I've done in the past ways that I eat that I feel embarrassed by but I think as well just in terms of the conversation around obesity as well there's also kind of the flip side to it which is just the assumptions we make about if someone is uh, the correct weight for their height that person could be a chain smoker a drinker there could be somebody who is overweight or obese but they might be exercise loads and so I don't know what the right or wrong answer is there but it's just something that interests me and um, with the show as well I thought probably one of the best ways to do it and at the same time approach it from a perspective of trying to combat the the narrative of being lazy and greedy is is to do it while simultaneously and this is perhaps stupid <laughs> training for a marathon the three peaks challenge and cycling from land's end to john O'Groats. you know what what would it mean for example if you know i went through this process and i didn't necessarily lose any weight but i was up to a place where i was physically fit enough to do those things I've spent so long in my life trying to lose weight and very much for kind of like an aesthetic point of view, wanting to fit into a dress or just to look slimmer. And it's led me down quite a a dark path. Any weight loss that does or doesn't happen, I'm trying to see as just a happy byproduct, a way that I can improve my health without it feeling like a kind of a you know a mental compulsion like it has done in the past and I say this as well with the back of my mind going you know I don't even know necessarily if I'm if I'm right kind of in this assumption that just because I lose weight it's automatically going to make me healthy this this has been one of the interesting things actually the more I've kind of delved into it the more confusing it gets there's so much conflicting information about the food you should be eating if carrying loads of extra weight is a bad thing or not yeah it's it's a minefield yeah and I think if nothing else then it will be important to bring into awareness that it's much much more complex Mm. than than just what you choose to put in your mouth and and even that comes with a huge history right so that might be about the types of food that someone is fed in their infancy in their families mm-hmm. what is the food mm-hmm. history what is the traditional food yeah. in, in the family yeah. it might then also be about what was food like in school what was your relationship with your body like as you grew up what were you told about your body as you grew up as well as then the messages we get about food eating body shape and yeah. self-worth 
in society as we become adolescents and adults. I mean, it's one of the things that makes me so furious when I see these editorials where someone's just saying, oh, well, you just need to get off the sofa. And Mm. because not only is that just a very aggressive thing to say, but it also misses the point. Because as you said, you know, you said, I've spent a lot of my life dieting. This isn't, Mm. this isn't about oh, someone's just not trying hard enough. When I work with people and you see people and you talk to people, you understand actually there's been a lot of hard work. There's been a lot of effort. There's been a lot of trying. And for some reason, something doesn't change. And Mm -hmm. I think it's about really understanding that this is a complex issue. Food, eating, feeding ourselves is a really complex issue that I think a lot of people really struggle with. I think if we're not talking about eating disorders, and I think there is a huge way in which a lot of people, maybe even the majority of people have disordered eating. Yeah, yeah. That everyone, I think it's very rare to find someone who isn't eating to a plan or a schedule or to a book, um, whether they're cutting carbs or whether they're paleo or whether they're vegan or, you know, that we are so far away away from an idea that you might be able to eat intuitively that you might be able to trust Mm. your body that you might be able to just follow your appetite that you might be able to eat a wide range of foods whether they are what is traditionally considered healthy or not in that sense I think most people probably have a slightly disordered relationship Mm. with food yeah and that people with a healthy relationship with food a a natural non-anxious intuitive relationship with food are probably in the minority yeah I mean I, um, well, last year I was working in a tea shop uh, just kind of on the side. And one of the ladies who I told this project about to, she was really interested and she was really nervous about asking me. She was like, I don't want to be offensive, but can I ask you? Um, And she went on to kind of question me about, you know, why I find it such a difficult thing to have, you know, my relationship with food. Because as she kind of put it, you know, if I want a bit of cake, I'll have a bit and then I can leave it and come back to it if I want to. And it was also interesting because for me, it was really shocking to just see how for her, like food is something that isn't on her mind beyond those times she just wants something. It was quite an eye opener for both of us. One of the interesting things as well is we were running focus groups earlier this week. So we're currently in a period of research and development and we had um, our focus groups. One lady came to one session who... If I was to make an assumption, you know, a stereotypical judgment, I would look at her and and not think anything of her in terms of having a weight issue. Mm -hmm. But listening to her talking about her recent weight gain and how it was making her feel, it was quite eye-opening to to realise that actually I've completely dismissed potential that she could have a difficult relationship with food. And here was her talking, being quite honest about how distressing she was finding it. Mm. Have there been any particular themes in the focus groups or has it been a much broader set of responses than you perhaps expected? It has been quite broad, but I think perhaps the overriding thing is there's not been anyone who's responded, whether it's in our focus groups or in our online survey simply going I'm greedy and lazy there's always been a backstory some sort of perhaps trigger that's caused a weight gain at later life or a certain way of growing up you know a relationship with food that's been built into them as children that they have taken into adulthood and they're struggling to change mm-hmm. a certain way of using food just spoken about how difficult yeah. talking about weight issues fatness obesity is and that it's so loaded with condemnation criticism aggression how have you prepared yourself to put yourself into such a public space to put your body under such scrutiny oh um 
that's a good question. Um, it is still an ongoing thing. So I have encountered some trolling, which was difficult. Um, and it's on my mind that, you know, as the project progresses, that's bound to crop up again. How have I prepared? Am I prepared is the question. With any kind of abuse, I think you've got to take it with a pinch of salt because they don't know me. Um, they don't know my backstory. I do really believe in the importance of this which I think is perhaps giving me a sense of Dutch courage with it all. I think going back to what I was saying about doing a marathon, the Three Peaks Challenge and Land's End on a Group, that feels, you know, as well as just being three iconic events that I've always felt inspired by and wanted to do, having been a girl who never felt that sport was for her, there is that thing directly there of, well, I, at the start of the year, couldn't run at all. And I'm now training for a half marathon. The person who's given me abuse, like, where are you in this supposedly healthy fit spectrum? Because I think there is a real point to be made there that actually in terms of fitness and good health, we should be looking at everybody, you know, and we don't often talk about it from that perspective. We just assume that a certain body size is health. You know, I don't want to criticise or body shame anybody, but people are going to abuse me perhaps for this because I'm a fat person then my question is exactly that you know look at yourself what's your fitness level and where are you coming from so what is the goal of this project what in an ideal world would you want to happen there's an element of trying to build up empathy and just to challenge the stereotypes that dominate obesity, especially working in theatre as well. You know, I see the portrayal of obese characters or fat characters. It's very often a certain representation, the funny character or, you know, the character, the very kind of simplistic sub-characters to support the narrative of other characters. It's about just opening up the conversation, trying to make it a kinder conversation in terms of how you would tackle obesity. And again, I say this with like a pinch of salt because I don't want to say that big bodies are necessarily unhealthy but just in terms of how the medical profession might approach it doing something that gives them access to those personal stories so that they can perhaps improve their knowledge their understanding um so that for those people who perhaps do want the support to lose weight they can have you know more success potentially perhaps it's a better understanding of how much it might be a thing in the mind we need to really focus on rather than just saying to people just eat less and move more and come back to me next month for a weigh-in I think it's, in it's interesting that you um, mentioned the medical profession because I, I guess there is, is a group of people who have a very mechanistic view of, yeah. of food and eating and, you know, of a very thermodynamics driven idea about why someone is, is overweight. Do you feel when you've gone to GPs or to, mm. to professionals, do you feel understood? Do you feel listened to? Do you feel there is an understanding of the more complex issues as to why you might be eating too much? I'm really lucky in that the GP that is supporting me through this project, so I have like, I go for just a month's check-in just to check that what I'm doing is healthy, not so much, you know, just to weigh me um, throughout this process is, is, is great. And we, you know, the chats we have, like she's really empathetic. I have to admit, and maybe this is bad of me, but I've definitely got into the habit of going to the doctors and kind of getting the fat thing out of the way, going, oh, I know that I'm overweight, which perhaps I shouldn't do. Why do you do that? perhaps maybe I feel like it's kind of the obvious thing that could be said and so I just want to address it and um, maybe it's the thing that I do to try and kind of make light of it I'm very aware that I still carry a lot of the hang-ups that I've developed because of how I've tried to lose weight in the past you know about a reliance on the scales and 
exactly like I've said, you know, trying to get my size out of the way rather than perhaps not even bring it into the conversation. So yes, in the past, I guess, I, I mean, I've never had a particularly bad doctor's appointment where I felt prejudiced, but I do kind of just maybe get the uh, elephant in the room out of the way. Is that then, when I when I meet someone for the first time, Yeah, I guess always in the back of my mind is what impression are they going to get yeah. about me yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, and quite often I've had the experience where I've spoken to somebody on the phone and then I've seen them in person they have this little look of surprise because they haven't mm. expected me to be black <laughs> um, and there's this little kind of moment where they have to recalibrate their assumptions about okay, who yeah. they were going to meet is is your experience that assumptions are made about you I, I guess I'm thinking about when you say I get that the weight thing out of the way presumably that's because you think an assumption has already been made or is being made about you yeah hey I'm Ryan Reynolds recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare. that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As soon as you've arrived, I have never felt prejudiced in terms of things like work and stuff to my knowledge like I've never come away from a situation I've definitely been abused on the street mm. um you know I've I've had uh, one lovely drunken man shout Jabba the Hutt at me uh, as I was walking down the road I was just walking through a park minding my own business completely and there were a group of men who'd been doing some sort of exercise class were lying on the grass like really worn out and I overheard them say well she's a big girl she could handle it um, yeah, completely unsolicited attention and stuff. I don't know what that means. Yeah, well, they have loads of kettlebells around, mm-hmm. so probably to do with that. But yeah, they're definitely in terms of just elements like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think you'll probably be hard pressed to find somebody who is overweight who hasn't had that sort of experience. But yeah, I guess maybe with the doctor thing, perhaps I do feel like they might just you know then they're not going to look at me and 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 think oh she's training for a half marathon they're more likely to think she eats loads of cake and sits on the sofa all day (laughs) so maybe what I need to do is rather than go in and go I know that I need to lose weight is actually go well I'm training for a half marathon 
Yeah, but there's something quite interesting about the preemptive strike, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a protection. It's a, yeah, it's a defensive mechanism where mm. you kind of go, look, I know what the possible slings are going that are going to be shot at me are, so I'll just sling them first, yeah. and then we can have a conversation. No, I think that's completely true, actually. And in terms of my journey getting more comfortable, just saying I'm fat. At school, I was absolutely mortified if the word weight was used in any context. I could be in a science lesson and we'd be talking about the weight of a chemical we were about to explode. <laughs> and, and I would be just sat there, so much anxious feeling in my stomach, doing everything I could to avoid eye contact with my teacher or my, student, my fellow pupils, feel myself going bright red, a real fear that, ah, that word's going to be said weight and everyone's going to associate it to me, which is ridiculous in a way. Well, no, it is ridiculous. Well, well, I don't know if it is ridiculous in the sense that if you've already had people make unsolicited comments throughout your life Mm. about your body, then there is a sense in which your body, and I think lots of people have experience, women have this experience a lot, that your body isn't your own, that your body is a kind of, is public property. It's open for people to make comments about, make judgments about, and and then tell you what they think of your body. Mm So perhaps it's not completely ridiculous that you would make the assumption that whenever there is the idea of weight in a conversation that there might be associations made to you. What it it does highlight, I guess, is how much primacy that has Mm. or had Mm. in your mind Mm. that at the front of everything was this idea about whether you were being judged, what people were thinking about you. Yeah. And actually that has made me think as well. If I was to go into like a social situation, like going out clubbing or to the pub on like a busy night, that actually I would feel quite nervous about that. And that I can trace back to an experience at uni when we went to a club for a friend's birthday. And me and a girl who was also a larger girl, we were at the bar and we suddenly felt things hitting us. And we turned around and it was a group of boys throwing ice cubes at us. And, you know, it probably doesn't take much to work out the reason why they were directly aiming those things at us. But that generated such a huge anxiety attack in me that I carried with me, like, you know, for kind of the hour or so that I continued on in that social situation before I then just completely faked that I was feeling super sick and had to go home to get myself out of that situation. And yeah, certainly if I was to to go back into a similar sort of environment, similar feelings of fear would generate. I mean, that was a trauma. Yeah. And, and the way you describe it is in traumatic terms. And, and there's something very interesting about the way in which commenting on someone's weight is seen still as a kind of acceptable form of prejudice. Yes, yes, because there is, of course, the argument that everyone's body should be their own. So, you know, you can choose to be whatever size you want. But that often gets uh, counteracted with, you know, arguments about, about the, the NHS. NHS. <laughs> Which, mm-hmm. you know, to some extent, of course, I, I can't stand here and say that may or may not be valid. I just, I often feel like I'm very much stuck in the middle of these arguments where I may or may not stand. I can see kind of both sides. I guess I just feel that the argument has become so, the conversations become so polarised that actually what you don't have is the middle ground, perhaps. Yeah, of, of someone just saying, well, this is my experience. Because exactly, yeah. you have, let's say, the mechanistic, this is how it happens, yeah. medical view of it. Then you have the social commentator, this is what I think about it. This is my opinion of it. And this is whether I think it's attractive or not. Yeah, yeah. 
but nowhere really and probably because people want to protect themselves from uh, aggression and um, abuse nowhere is there that well this is my experience actually this is my lived experience this is how it feels for me in this body or in this life in this relationship and, and kind of navigating my way through the world. Yeah, and actually that's really true because I'm not trying to say with this production that my experience is right or wrong. I'm just trying to say this is my experience, my real experience of, you know, what I've encountered with with the admission that I've been someone who has actively tried to lose weight and then I've kind of suffered the negative effects of, of that. And obviously, you know, when I started this, I was you know, nearly 20 stone. Um, so, you know, quite, quite heavy. Um, I'm not trying to say it's, it's right or wrong. And quite honestly, like I don't have the the knowledge when it comes to the medical side of things, the food side of things to suddenly be the expert, but it is about just trying to go, this is my experience. And for me with the show as well, it isn't just about my story. It's just that because it is my story, that felt like the way that I could kind of start breaking into it Mm -hmm. and then expand into other people. Is there something that you think people who aren't overweight or obese do consistently get wrong? Is there a kind of assumption that they make which doesn't feel right to you or to the respondents of your um, focus groups? I guess it's probably just the eat less move more thing not in terms of that's incorrect fact incorrect science just based on the idea of calories in calories out but I guess what it is mentally that means a person can or can't do it mm-hmm. because I you know I know if I eat less and if I move more I probably <laughs> will lose weight but there have been um things that have meant I've not been able to do that or if I have done it I've done it in a way actually which I wouldn't say is healthy either so when I lost the most weight I've ever lost in my life which is about three years ago I was doing a a, you know a, a certain slimming program I was eating essentially my allowance of what I could have out of certain food groups the ones that are typically more unhealthy within the space of a day or a couple of days and then having to limit myself to just fruit and veg for the rest of the week, mm. which that isn't healthy either because where's things like protein and, and carbohydrates? Mm. Um, or just or balance. Well, yeah, exactly. Balance, balance. That's the exact word. It's balance. You know, there was no balance there either. Mm. It was really rigid and I was actually making myself quite mentally unwell. Mm. So, you know, both extremes. They're not good, I would say, from my experience. No, I would agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. And, and there is something very challenging about this idea that, you know, food is something that's so essential just for the maintenance of life. Yeah. But it's also incredibly complex that we all, and this is the fundamental basis, the foundation of this podcast, is that we all have a relationship with it Mm. we all have a history with it we all have a way in which we use it in non-nutritional ways whether it's to celebrate whether it's to commiserate whether it's to comfort whether it's to feed others Mm. and show love that we all use food to demonstrate something to ourselves or to others and that in itself isn't a good or a bad thing Mm. but we need to understand what it is that we do with it and why so I think that's it's it is really important to understand that, sure, like you're an intelligent woman, you understand that move more, eat less. So we have to ask, 
what might be the blocks in the way. And, and mm. mm-hmm. maybe I'm mm-hmm. biased as a psychologist, but mm. I'm going to think that there is something psychological going on about your relationship with food or your relationship with yourself, your relationship with the world that interferes with just following that very simple advice. And I think if something like that comes out of your project, then I think that's going to be an, an enormous benefit to people to even be able to start to engage with the idea that there's something much more complex going on here in the same way that we do with people who are underweight, that there's something mm-hmm. very complex and important to understand for people who are overweight. That All of that said, I think it's brave of you. Mm-hmm. I think you're doing brave and important work with well, thank you. this project. And I hope you know people really do engage with it. You know, you get people to do the focus groups so people will come and see the production when, when it's done. On a day-to-day basis, though, what, yeah. what would make things easier for you as an obese woman yeah. living her life? What would you want other people to understand that would make life easier for you? Well, I guess perhaps going back to the idea of not just getting it, eating less and moving more. I often feel with obesity that there's an assumption that people aren't aware of it the people who are obese are completely blind to it um that there might not be this back history of trying to to lose weight if they've chosen to do that or or indeed just kind of the other element of it which is there might be triggers for for that Mm -hmm. as well i think i think it's empathy which is what essentially the show is about doing just trying to broaden our empathy by enabling people to have a better understanding you know and I don't think as well with um with society like as a whole we have many stories which actually enable that to happen uh, many narratives within society and just generally as well I guess if potentially I'm somebody who can start off with a very limited ability when it comes to fitness and somehow cycle myself eventually to the other end of the country, then for everybody, no matter their size, but who might be living sedentary lives, perhaps it might be some sort of small inspiration. Um, Let's just hope I do it. (laughs) It's not easy, that's for sure. But don't you find also, actually, that's often the case as well, that a lot of these narratives, like these transformation Mm. narratives, it's kind of like, look how easy it was and how quickly I did it. Whereas the reality is for me that actually it's really tough. And there are plenty of times where I'm just like, oh, I've got to go out running now. And the key thing for me as well has been finding actually what I really enjoy about running and finding the exercise that I want to do because it isn't a case of I'm doing it to be healthy or to lose weight because actually I really love it like it's really good fun it really engages my brain as well that mm. you can perhaps have, have a, a relationship with both food and exercise which is about um enjoyment yeah about pleasure surprisingly <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> not impossible. just not just the idea of no pain no gain yeah which, but it doesn't which, have to be aggressive and hostile yeah, yeah. I and ironically it's kind of the quite a strange message when you're trying to encourage people mm. to, to do it but I think you make a really good point about the the simplicity of 
the narrative of the message, you know, not just in the move more, eat less, but also in those transformation uh, stories. Because, you know, we've seen them all. There's this a, a sad picture at the beginning with someone yeah. who's overweight and then they're, you know, glowing and happy afterwards. And then you get this very two paragraph, so-and-so used to live off sausage rolls and da-da-da. Mm-hmm. And then they shifted and started eating porridge and baked potatoes. And just as if it, as if it were that simple. But isn't that a really good point that you've raised as well? This idea that just because you're overweight means you're sad and that the you know happiness lies in in skinniness and I often wonder with kind of the arguments around you know that being overweight isn't a bad thing part of it is like well it's quite insulting to be told that because you're overweight obviously your life is miserable there's lots that I love about my life and I am genuine genuine uh, generally quite a really happy person but yeah yeah but there's something that I think is difficult to to accept about that yeah. you know there's some there's some belief i think in society that if you're not at least striving to have the aesthetic that we've all agreed is yeah is the right one then you must be very very sad and would you i don't know if you would necessarily agree or have any kind of feeling about it but that aesthetic is often through a particular lens as well well yeah i mean this is one of the interesting things about um about body size because um we were talking earlier and and you were talking about um larger bodies mm. and, and in west indian culture and in in some parts of african culture actually women are prized who yeah. are larger yeah. and who are you know who would be described as obese or maybe even morbidly obese they are women take um hormones that designed for animals to put to help animals put on weight and women wow, have been okay. taking these hormones in order to help them put on weight and get bigger yeah in in jamaica the term for a skinny woman is margot and meager she's skinny mm-hmm, she's mm-hmm, underweight mm-hmm. she's unattractive mm-hmm. um and actually it's a it's a bigger woman who is more attractive yeah so there is a there is and that's shifting of course as the kind of western view the western lens of, yeah. of bodies yeah. expands yeah and again that's not necessarily to say that to <laughs> to take veterinary hormones is a good thing yeah but there is of course a, a cultural of course context lots of these things about how we understand yeah. aesthetic attractiveness and, and beauty and and again that's one of the reasons why it's it's a very complex issue and it's not quite as simple as you know and you think simple. back to what like english history as well like the days of yore when having you know sugar was and being fat was a sign of wealth again mm. you know the ability to be able to have that stuff and yeah, that you weren't out in the fields working. Yes, exactly. Like that whole kind of historical context there is to this whole thing too. Mm. I think one of the most interesting things that I've found as well in this journey so far, because what I've been trying and it's not always been successful, is about how I can learn to eat intuitively and rely more on my body's um, mechanisms rather than, you know, a calories. And actually, the number of sort of binge type episodes or the number of times when I've kind of eaten and gone, do I regret that? Okay, yes, I actually do in this in this moment have lessened because on the whole, if I do want something sweet, like a chocolate bar, I'll just have it. And, you know, I'm trying to say to myself, one a day tops, because let's face it, you know, chocolate isn't the healthiest thing in the world, you know, but it's still you know yeah it gives it kind of it kind of does like a mental tick for me in a way it's like you know that buzz but actually by nine times out of ten just by having it then actually I haven't wanted to have more because I've let that happen rather than the times when I've been like no I'm going to ignore the fudge cake 
and then a week later I'm eating half of it in one go. Mm. No, well, and, and there's, I mean, there's good evidence behind that because if you make something unavailable actually what you do is create obsessive thoughts about it yeah yeah um, and then those obsessive thoughts become you know get construed as, as cravings and it becomes something that is intensely desired whereas if you fancy something and you have a bite of it then you've dispelled that you've, yeah you've dealt with it it's gone you can carry on you don't have to then keep ruminating on whether or not you can ever have that piece of cake or that chocolate bar yeah. again yeah yeah um and one of the things that I really believe about mindful or intuitive eating is that it, it builds a, a foundation of trust mm. in yourself. Yeah. That if, for example, you want something, if you do crave a slice of cake and you tell yourself, no, you don't want it, you can't have it, you shouldn't you shouldn't want it, this is not allowed. Mm. I think fundamentally you're saying you cannot be trusted. You say to yourself, yeah. I cannot trust my appetite, I cannot trust my body, I cannot trust the desire. And, and I think there's something deeply problematic about reinforcing those sorts of messages to yourself. Whereas mm. if you say, okay, body, I'm going to trust you yeah. to, you know, just enjoy this, slice of whatever it is and then move on then what you're I think on a very deep maybe unconscious fundamental level is saying I I trust you and I'm going to trust this feeling in my body and I'm going to move forward and I think there's something quite important about that capacity to trust one's own body yeah well and you know the moments when I've had something and it's kind of I've just acknowledged that I want it they don't then incur the feelings of guilt or shame that I then have from the moment when I've gone, I'm not going to have it, and then I've caved. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. But, yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't feel like I have a lot of the answers at all, but I just want to ask the questions. Exactly, and I think that's it. I think it's the, the I think part of the problem is that everyone else has assumed that they have the answers, but actually it, things nothing has moved there hasn't been any pr- progression so clearly we're getting something wrong and actually maybe there's a there's a real need to go back and let's see whether we're asking the right questions in the first place mm-hmm. so I think if if your project can be part of that conversation or, or, or even start that conversation then that's going to be like I said a hugely hugely helpful okay so if people want to get involved, if they want to follow your progress, yeah. where can they find you on the internet? So, uh, <laughs> this sounds so big-headed. Um, it's the working title of the production at the moment, but there is a YouTube channel called Cheryl Talks Obesity, which you can follow and watch my journey from January up to now. We're currently going through our research and development period as well. So for the first time in this process, we're uploading videos, which are also about, you know, what we're doing in the rehearsal room, rather than me just talking about, you know, my weeks running or the latest food episode. There's also the hashtag on Twitter, Cheryl Talks Obesity, and we've got a Facebook group with the same name. And that's Cheryl with an S-H. With an S-H, S-H-E-R-Y-L. And yeah, everything about the show will be through these accounts. So definitely that's the way to keep an eye on it all. Lovely. Is there anything else you would like to say or ask of people listening? I don't think so. I guess it's just maybe it's the same thing that I'm trying to do, which is just an openness to this conversation, not assumptions of having the right or the wrong answers. And maybe it is that thing as well that I often think about people in life generally, which is we never know what someone's story is. So let's perhaps not just judge them straight away. But those people are often in the minority as well. I think that's really important to say. It's not indicative of the whole society. 
Well, I think that is a, a very important ask of, of anyone. So some openness and empathy and maybe a little bit of a pause before we jump to conclusions. Mm. Cheryl, thank you so, thank you. so much for inviting me in and for feeding me one of my favourite things. If you've got a bad tummy afterwards, you know who to blame. <laughs> um, I look forward to hearing more about the project as you go Great. along and um, I wish you all the very best with it. Thanks, Kimberly. Thank you. Thanks again to Cheryl for making the time to talk to me and for sharing her story. You can follow Cheryl on Facebook, YouTube and the Twitter hashtag CherylTalksObesity and I'll pop all of those links in the show notes on my website KimberlyWilson.co. In future episodes, I'll be catching up with Cheryl and her co-director Ellen Carr to talk more about the research and development process and what the feedback has been from the focus groups. Also look out for the related content on the latest research on the psychophysiology of obesity and why it isn't about being greedy and lazy. Do hit subscribe so you don't miss any of those episodes. But that's all I have for you today. All that's left for me to say is thank you very much for listening. And until next time, I wish you the very best of health. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.